Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. It was a dark, dark day. He was being hunted down like a wild animal. If they caught him, it would have meant certain death. King David was running away from all people, his own son, Absalom. Why? Because Absalom was tracking him down to kill his own dad so that he could establish himself as king in Israel. I cannot imagine a scenario like that, can you? How must David have been feeling while he was on the run? Well, King David was a man of prayer. All the Psalms we're looking at in this short series, uh, some are in the Psalms, are attributed to David. And today's Psalm is Psalm 5. And I hope you have it open in front of you. It's always good to check that what the preacher is saying is what the Word of God says. Now, we could read Psalm 5 all on its own and we'd get great benefit out of that. But the previous two Psalms, 3 and 4, are also Psalms written by David and they shine light on what's going on in Psalm 5. In fact, one way to look at these three Psalms, 3, 4 and 5, is as a package. We can think of it like this. Psalm 3 is a prayer that David prayed Yesterday morning. Psalm 4, he prayed last night, that evening. And Psalm 5, the one we're looking at this morning, he prayed this morning. Turn back to Psalm 3 and note the heading of Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So the headings, these, these headings in bold, not the dark print ones, which are put there by the editors very helpfully, but the, the bold ones are helpful because they're part of the, the original scripture and they often give us the context and that's what Psalm 3 does. Um, now, it's extraordinary that David is fleeing from his son. I mean, imagine Prince Frederick wanting to kill his mother, Queen Margareth, so that he could become king. I mean, something really would be rotten in the state of Denmark, if that were the case. Or imagine in England, if, if William wanted to assassinate Charles. For David, yesterday morning he prayed verse 1 of Psalm 3. Have a look at it with me. O Lord... How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. It's not just Absalom running around on his own. He's got a small army to help him. It must have been terrifying for David. Last night, Psalm 4, verse 1, David prayed this. Chapter 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. 
prayer of the morning wasn't answered. Maybe the prayer of the evening will be. And this morning he prays again. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. This is what it's been like for King David over the last two days. First Psalm, Psalm 3, David is praying for God to rescue him from his son's evil pursuit. In Psalm 4, we peer into David's bedroom before he went to sleep last night and we heard him pray again for the same thing and now it's the next morning and still God hasn't rescued him. Seems like nothing's changed. What is going on? Does prayer work? King David has been praying that God will take away his problem And here it is the next morning with exactly the same problem. Nothing's changed. Well, nowhere in the scriptures, of course, does God promise to remove our problems. Uh, This is the first area we're going to explore in today's sermon. Following God does not mean, doesn't mean no problems. And then we'll look at two types of people. And then to finish, we'll work through some final choices. That's where we're headed. Following God doesn't mean no problems. Two, prob- two types of people and then final choices. All right. Following God doesn't mean no problems. When I was a young Christian, someone once said to me, very unhelpfully and very inaccurately, I might add, that if you come to Jesus, all your problems will be solved. Uh, now, it is true that I might have a better capacity to cope with my problems, but my problems will still be there. In fact, becoming a follower of Jesus might create more problems for a person. For example, if a Muslim turns to Christ, there will be problems that they didn't have before, like rejection of their family, like being excluded from the community. And in one particular book I read, uh, called Once an Arafat Man, um, when... uh, Uh, a terrorist's chauffeur uh, and assassin, part-time assassin, he sort of was an associate. When when he turned Christian, his family sought to kill him. Increased problems, yes. But for most people, uh, the old problems are still there, not new ones. Now, of course, those problems, those new problems, are not a good enough reason not to become a follower of Jesus, um, but they would mean more problems for that person. So what do you do when you've prayed and prayed and prayed and it appears like your prayers are falling on deaf ears? What do you do? Do you give up? Do you stop praying? Do you take matters into your own hands because we need to help God out? Well, as I've said, Psalm 5 deals with what David did the next morning when he woke up and it seemed like God had not answered his prayer. The reality was that God hadn't answered his prayer. David was not safe. Absalom and his army were still after him and he had no real evidence that God had even heard him. In Psalm 4, which we didn't read, but in Psalm 4, David reflected on how God had saved him before and could do so again, but right now nothing's changed. He wakes up in the morning and he's gloomy, but not in despair. He still prays. Have a look, verse 2. Read it before, read it again. Give give attention to the sound of my cry. 
my God and my sorry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. David knows that God hears prayer. He is David's king and he is David's God. Even the Apostle Paul was not free of calamity as a follower of the Lord Jesus. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, he writes, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Life for a follower of Jesus will be like everyone else who doesn't follow Jesus. We live in a broken world, stuff happens, things go wrong, Christians are not immune. Even though David still had his problems, he plans his day deliberately with God utmost in his mind. He doesn't give up. He keeps very much focused on God. He continues to talk to God. Because even though God has not yet answered him, he knows from verse 3 that God will hear him and so he'll get on with the day. For David, that means beginning the day worshipping God. That's what the reference to the sacrifice is in verse 3. So how do you keep going when everyone around you, even friends, let you down? How do guys like David and Paul keep going when everything around them seemed to be falling to bits? Well, Psalm 5 provides us with a model and a framework that we can look to to be encouraged and to keep on going. This psalm is a people psalm. It's a psalm about two types of people. One type of person is the person whom God condemns. They are described in verse 5 as the boastful or as an evildoer and the other are those whom God blesses who are described as the righteous in verse 12. Kids, there's the answer to that question. The evildoer, verse 5, and the righteous, verse 12. Firstly, the evildoer. What is God's view of the evildoer? Well, it's set out for us in verses 4 to 5. Let's have a look at it again, those verses. Have a look. Chapter 5, verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. It's really a description of the holiness of God compared to the unholiness of the evildoer, isn't it? Verse 4 tells us that God doesn't delight in wickedness and then tells us why. It's because evil cannot live with God. They are mutually exclusive. When I get out of the water at Flynn's Beach, I am wet. I'm probably covered in red weed as well, but I'm wet. When I dry, I am no longer wet. You can't have wet and dry at the same time. Look again, verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. To dwell with means to live with. This is not some passing encounter between God the creator and us his creature. This is not a passing relationship. It's intimate. It's about living together. 
doing life together. Right back in the garden, when God created Adam and Eve, the intention was that God would live with them. After the great rebellion, in your Bible, in Genesis 3, it says, the fall. I reckon that, that, that sounds like a bit of an accident, a bit of a trip. It's actually the great rebellion. That's what we should... That's what the editors of... Any editors of Bibles out here, change it to the Great Rebellion because that's what it is. And after the Great Rebellion, God came looking for Adam and Eve. The writer tells us in Genesis 3.8 that, quote, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the, as the cool of the day. Kind of like normal. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. They destroyed that intimate relationship and was supposed to be one of intimacy and they blew it to smithereens and we've been doing it ever since humanity. Just as light and darkness cannot coexist, neither can holiness and evil. I wonder if you feel that tension. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will feel that tension. The more I know Jesus, the greater the tension because I become more and more aware of just how holy God is and how evil my heart really is. There's a tension. Is there a tension in your life over your own evil? It's an important question. And it needs to, we need to consider, does your sin bother you? I hope it does. And I hope you hold short accounts with God. Prior to Absalom, King David fathered another boy. His name was Solomon. Uh, any of the kids know who uh, Solomon's mother was? Any of the adults? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Now, she was married to a bloke called Uriah. Uriah was a soldier in Dad's army. While he was away at the war, David committed adultery with her. She becomes pregnant. And then to cover it up, he arranged for the murder of her husband, Uriah. You can read, and indeed you should read, the sordid account of evildoing, speaking of lies, bloodthirstiness and deceit, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You need to read it. And so with that background in mind, of David's encounter with Bathsheba and subsequently Uriah, have a look at what David writes in Psalm 5 verse 5. Halfway through. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies... The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And I want to say to David, are you sure you really want to say that? Verse 6 actually accurately describes you. What is going on? Well, it ties in with the boastfulness earlier in verse 5. The boastful, the arrogant, ignore God's authority. The arrogant person thinks they know better than God. David's heart was towards God. 
And in spite of his own behaviour, he had always acknowledged God as the ultimate king and authority. He knew that he had done nothing to deserve God's favour. It was all of grace. When David was confronted by the the prophet Nathan regarding his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the subsequent murder of Uriah, his repentance was immediate. David was able to be forgiven because he acknowledged God's authority and repented. Yes, you, you can be forgiven for the most horrific of sins because of God's amazing grace, as the song goes. We have done nothing worthy of God's acceptance. In fact, we've done the opposite. Remember what's going on here. What we have here is Absalom's rebellion. Absalom fails to acknowledge who the king is. Doesn't he? He wants to murder him. He wants to replace King David with King Absalom. He failed to acknowledge that the real king was David. And that's our failure. We fail to acknowledge our king, King Jesus. We've sought to be king ourselves, to try and take over the rule of, in our lives, just like Absalom wanted to take over the rule of David in Israel. We're Absalom, every one of us. As the commentator Michael Wilcock puts it, Absalom's determination to put himself on the throne in David's place illustrates perfectly this most basic of sins. I want to be king in my life. That's the evildoers of verse 5. Those who fail to acknowledge and follow the real king. That's why the evildoers, us, all of us, needs God's grace, his undeserved favour. That's the only option we have or we're doomed. Whether we're the adulterous murder planner or the person who fails to acknowledge Jesus as king in your life. It's the same thing. The righteous are the opposite of the evildoer. They are those who acknowledge and follow the king and have accepted the grace that's on offer. It's really that simple. What does the psalm say about those people, the righteous? It's really encouraging. Look at verse 7 with me. But... Have you noticed that in the Psalms? You read along, particularly the Psalms of Lament. You know, this is going wrong, that's going wrong, that's going wrong. God, why is this happening to me? And then the writer goes, but... And they realise and they write that there is some good news. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house... I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. God's love never diminishes. It is steadfast. God's love is not like our love. God's love is not conditional. In response to God's love, David bows towards God's temple. Remember, that's the focal point of Hebrew worship. Uh, It's a simple way of saying that David worships God 
and calls upon God to help him follow God's way. David knows that the only way he could possibly come into the presence of God is through God's love and grace. He knows, like the old hymn writer, sums up beautifully with this line in the hymn, No merit of my own I claim, but only trust in Jesus' name. Is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness? God, through his mercy, has given David a desire to worship and he gives the same desire to us when we follow him. Now, I wonder if, as you heard Merrin read this psalm, there seems to... Did you have some uneasiness? Perhaps even thinking of hypocrisy around David? He's happy to accept God's love and acceptance, but verses 9 and 10, uh, he wants to zap those opposed to God. Have a look at verse 10 with me. It's over the page for me. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Just like I did, kind of. It's, you, you get the point? It's kind of weird. Um, he's happy to accept God's love and forgiveness, but he, those are opposed to he wants God does that. David is calling, is calling for justice, and it's actually not inconsistent with the rest of the psalm if we keep reading. Verse 11 and 12 tell us that there is hope for those whom he's just want, called for vengeance upon. Verse 11, but let those who take, sorry, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for, let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. For those who love your name may exalt you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with a shield Sorry, with favour and a shield. I read that very badly. Sorry about that. I'll read it again. I'll, get, I'll do it right this time. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favour as with a shield. What David's saying is that if they continue to rebel against God, God as the just ruler, then David is calling upon God to bring justice. But it's not about vengeance, about those who fail to honour God and to start to honour him, because if they fail to do so, God's wrath is on them, and what he wants them to do is to repent. He wants them to do what he has done. Recognise the true king. Yahweh. So where does this lead us? Well, we have some final choices. There are two types of people in the world. Those who are rebellious of the king, the evildoer, and those who acknowledge who the king is, they're the righteous. In David, we see an earthly king who is the archetype of the true Big King Jesus. In Absalom, we see the evildoer. He is the archetype of those who want to be king in God's world to try and replace the real king. As I've said, that's us. That's you and me. That's what we were before we came to Christ. 
Let me remind you of the other reading we heard earlier today and the great words of comfort Paul the Apostle brings. Paul reminded us that we've all sinned and we need the righteousness that God provides. Note that being righteous is not about doing anything. It's about believing and trusting in Jesus. The one who takes refuge in Jesus, who acknowledges who God is, David tells us in verse 11, rejoices with songs of joy, which we're going to get to do in a moment. Uh, And we do that because God's protection is over us and because we love God and we will exalt his name in every way and any way we can. For God blesses the righteous. We have a choice. Be righteous through the grace of God or rebel against God. Join in the joy of being right with God, trusting him as our saviour and protector. Do we have any questions? We do. Okay, Uh, I'll make a final comment and then I'll pray and then we'll have questions. Think of righteousness as a coat. Your coat, my coat, is full of holes and it stinks. And even though it's yours, it really doesn't fit properly. Christ's coat is beautiful, clean, smells fantastic and fits perfectly. Which one will you wear when you stand before God? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we acknowledge that you are king of the entire universe. We thank you that you have revealed that. Thank you that it is possible and indeed your desire that we have a personal relationship with you. Please help us to acknowledge your loving, kingly rule in every area of our lives. Please forgive us for wanting to take over your rightful place as ruler of the kingdom of our lives, just like Absalom sought to rule over David's kingdom. Thank you that you graciously give us the gift of eternal life for all who trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you that because of Jesus we are righteous in your sight. May you protect us as you protected David, who even though he was sinful like the rest of us, trusted you to the end. May you forgive us as you forgave David. For we pray in the name of the one who gave his life in our place, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.